Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi there. Hello, gardening friends. Welcome to my backyard here in Taylor, Texas. Welcome to Plow and Hose. I am so glad y'all are able to join me again this week. And getting ready for the show this week, I decided to go through my notes from this time last year and, you know, try to get inspired maybe a little bit for today's show. And while I was doing that, one thing that struck me was just the stark difference between last summer and this summer and the conditions that we had last year versus this year. You know, normally our lawns are, have already gone dormant by this part, this time of year, and they're starting to kind of get brown and crispy. And the, the veggies in our gardens that we planted back in spring, they're usually done being, um, gorgeous beautiful productive fruitful plants but this year i'm still getting tons of peppers and tomatoes and even cucumbers are still producing and for me i it's just crazy to be able to still be harvesting things and getting blossoms too on these plants unusual for sure i mean normally like we have a bunch of like fields and farms all around Taylor and this time of the year they are brown and crispy and kind of barren looking but they're still looking okay so it's it's definitely a different year with all the rain that we got in May here in Central Texas plus the extra that we got in June and July things are still looking great they look lush and beautiful and i love it i love it i have found so many garden surprises this just even this past week thanks to the cooler temperatures and the extra rain i found a giant japanese cucumber hiding in under the vines and leaves and i really don't know what prompted me to just like move the vine but I did, and I just got it, this really great laugh because I discovered this ridiculous, great big green Japanese cucumber. So Japanese cucumbers are a bit like the hothouse English cucumbers, the really long, kind of foot-long ones. And this sucker was, uh, I don't know, <laughs> it was really fat. Um I don't care. I don't know. I went ahead and picked it and brought it inside. We'll peel it because the, the skin is a little tough, but I don't know. I just had to laugh and share that with you. You know, another kind of unusual thing that I discovered in my yard was some corn, corn plants, like legitimate 
ears of corn growing wild in my side yard. And I am seriously perplexed by this because corn is just one of those crops that we've had zero luck with. In the 15 years that we lived here, we've never harvested and eaten, not even one ear of corn. And last summer, I was like, that's it, I'm done. I am never trying to grow corn again. And I didn't plant corn this year. And I didn't even buy seeds to try this year. I just saved my $2 on corn seeds. And I was like, no, we're not doing this. But somehow, I have five stalks of corn. And I've got like seven or eight ears of corn that are growing right now and I have absolutely no idea who, what, where, why, how this corn randomly started growing in the spot that it is. It's this little sliver of space between the driveway and the property line and it's so it's so random. It gets absolutely no attention at all. It gets it gets sun, but there's no supplemental water. So whatever Mother Nature gives us as far as rain, you know, if it makes it way down to the soil in that spot, that's all that it gets. I mean, there is seriously not a hose long enough to water that spot. And I really have no idea how the corn seed would get there. You know, corn seeds, they are just dried kernels of corn. And the only thing I can think of is if like a bird picked some up and had it in its beak and it was like flying over and got freaked out and spooked or whatever and accidentally dropped the corn kernel there. But there are five plants there, five individual corn plants, all grown from individual corn seeds. So that would have to be like five birds. I mean, that's like a flock of birds and, and they would each have to drop a kernel of corn right there all at the same time because they're all about the same size but I don't know there's I I know there's probably a better explanation but I am just gonna be content with this wonderful happy surprise I'm just gonna let them be because if mother nature wants us to have corn here at the Julie Rydell backyard. She's gonna make it happen. She's gonna be like, hey girl, surprise, you're corn mom. <laughs> Normally here in Taylor, here in Central Texas, late July is ridiculous. It's hot, it's dry, it can be bleak, and depressing in the garden because everything is just this gross khaki color. Everything is dead and dying. It's it's not my favorite time of year. But there are a few plants that do really well in this temperature and they are super drought and heat tolerant plants and they are actually productive and interesting this time of year. I mean, we're talking about okra, black-eyed peas, 
they're just doing perfectly fine. And same for a lot of flowers. You know, here in my garden, I have passion vine, passion flower vine growing. I have coral vine that's putting on these cute little pink flowers. Turk's cap is everywhere. They are all happy and blooming and just soaking in the summer sun. But I have another favorite plant. Another one that loves this July heat and it's my very favorite summertime bloom pride of barbados it's big it's bold it has these incredible flowers that look like flames from a distance the blossoms are scarlet red at the bottom and then neon orange in the middle and then canary red at the, i mean canary yellow at the top and then each of these flowers have these fabulous long red stamens and the leaves remind me of mimosa tree leaves you know delicate branches made up of these little tiny oval shaped leaves they're very delicate and ferny looking when prada barbatus is planted in a happy spot it can get super super tall it can get like seven feet or even taller and I gotta say like in the Taylor area, I've not noticed any that are that tall around here, but I know the further that you go south, they can get that tall, they can get really big. And Pride of Barbados is a fantastic nectar plant and it attracts all kinds of butterflies and the hummingbirds. And I know I'm gushing on this plant, but it is 100% a thousand percent spectacular i love this plant and it may be my all-time favorite which is ridiculous because i say that all the time but it, it really is for sure in my top five plants so as you've probably guessed by its name it's a tropical plant it's very hardy and prolific all throughout the caribbean where it it will grow and bloom most of the year And it makes me so jealous because I love this plant so much. I wish that it would bloom year round for us here in Taylor. You know, when I lived in Austin, I had Prada Barbados um, plant. I had one and, you know, it did really well. When we moved to Taylor 15 years ago, I, I've tried to cultivate them in my backyard and they take a long time to get established and we had one spectacular season but then we got this hard freeze and it didn't come back again but I have an opportunity to try them again because I found some seeds so last year last summer during the pandemic I was really into going out for walks and I was walking around the neighborhood and there is this gorgeous Prado Barbados plant and it kind of hangs into the street, so it's very, very happy where it is. And it was just covered in blossoms and seed pods, so I helped myself to a couple of the pods and brought them home. I put them in my pocket, and of course, I forgot about them. And then, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, I found them, and they were in my nightstand drawer, which is so ridiculous. I have no idea why they were there, but I don't care or whatever. 
Um, it's such a happy surprise. And I went ahead and I planted some. And now I have these cute little baby Prada Barbados popping up. And I'm really looking forward to letting them grow up a little bit more so I can plant them in my yard and hopefully have lots more Prada Barbados popping up. In our horticultural zone, which is zone 7-8-B, Prada Barbados is a perennial plant. So that means that it dies back when it gets too cold, but it returns when it warms up, usually. If we get like a freaky cold snap, it can kill these more tropical plants. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. If you protect it from a hard freeze, it will come back though. The leaves, like I said, remind me of mimosa tree. And they both put out a very similar uh, looking seed pod. Both Prada Barbados and mimosa trees have seed pods that look like snow pea pods. And so that kind of got me thinking and I did a little research on the internet and learned they are related. They are both in the pea family. This means that Prada Barbados and mimosa plants are actually legumes. Legumes are awesome plants. They actually improve the soil because they are nitrogen fixers. Legumes work with the soil bacteria and they're able to convert nitrogen gas into a form of nitrogen that the plants can use. And this is really great because nitrogen is a key plant nutrient. It's the one that's responsible for creating lush green leaves. So if you ever hear anyone talking about legumes being a cover crop, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to improve the soil. A lot of times you'll hear like farmers talk about planting clover or alfalfa. They grow these crops to give the soil nitrogen, but they can also be they can also use the top parts of the plants to like bale up and then use as animal fodder, animal feed. But, you know, here in our smaller backyard gardens, we can plant legumes like black-eyed peas or green beans one season. And then we can do a completely different crop the next season. The legume is going to get your vegetable bed ready for the next season's crop. And you also get beans or peas this year or this time around. So as you're planning your fall vegetable garden, which, you know, you can start planting in August, be thinking about where you want to plant your legumes so that your winter garden benefits. All right. I want to get back to talking about pride of Barbados because I really do love this plant. So um, they put on these seed pods. Like I said, they look like snow pea pods and they develop seeds in these little pods and the seeds are hard little discs and they look like flat pebbles. They're hard and they're really hard like a little stone, a little pebble. And since they are so hard and, you know, they actually are kind of large, you know, they're, I don't know, maybe about the size of like of a pencil eraser. 
They do benefit from scarification. And all this means is that you need to scratch or nick the hard outer shell of the seed and then soak them overnight. And this is going to, you know, that little nick that you put in there, this is going to allow water to penetrate the seed coat and help your little seeds germinate. You can use a fingernail file or like an emery board or sandpaper and rub it over the seed coat and just scuff it up a little bit. You could use like a little pocket knife or a kitchen knife and just put a little nick in that seed coat. That is going to help the water penetrate by um, having easier access to all the parts of the seed that need the water. If you let the seed soak overnight in like just a cup of water, the next day you're going to be able to plant now. I have read that it it can take kind of a long time for these seeds to germinate, like up to a month. So if you try to grow them from seed, you just got to be patient and you really have to keep them moist because they do have that, that hard seed coating. Right now, it's a good time to try to germinate some seeds because our nights are warm, but our daytime temperatures can, um, they can really dry out like, uh, like little cups and pots of seedlings. So if you have any um, Prada Barbados, actually any seedlings that you're trying to, to nurture and foster, just make sure that you keep all of them moist, especially Prada Barbados, because they really need a lot of moisture. I want to say that it took two or three weeks for my Prada Barbados seeds to sprout. I think I planted five or six of them. I, th I think I planted six, but only um, half of them came up. But I don't care. I'm really excited because they did come up. And I know that they are going to be awesome plants for me because I do love them so much. I'm not the only one who thinks that they are great because Prada Barbados is a wonderful plant for us here in Central Texas. It's a really fantastic plant for almost all of Texas too. So much that it has been named by the Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Service as a superstar plant. Now this program through Texas A&M, they test plants extensively, like for several years, and they will plant a whole bunch of different plants, and only the most impressive and the best performing plants get to get designated as a superstar plant. You know, they do these field trials where they pretty much plant the ground directly in the ground with no extra amendments. Like whatever soil is there, they just plant them in the ground. They don't even really prep or modif modify um, the soil at all. They give them average water. They don't use any sort of pesticides. And only the best looking and toughest plants get selected. And there 
are really only about 60 plants that have been selected as Texas A&M Superstar Plants. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. The Boxboro Music Parlor is back and it's open for business and each Friday and Saturday night KBSR broadcasts live from the studio booth inside the music parlor. And this past Friday, Friday, June 23rd, it was my first time in the booth for a live broadcast and I got to spend some time with another KBSR DJ, DJ Lavelle, who is the host of Queer Taylor. QT. We had the best time. So if you are ever unable to come down to the, um, for some live music, you can always turn into KBSR and catch the live broadcast. I also want to mention real quick that another thing that you should check out is the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you download podcasts, pick your favorite podcast platform, and look for the Plow and Hose Gardening in Central Texas podcasts. If you like the flexibility of being able to play pause and rewind my show whenever you want to, just be sure to subscribe and download some episodes and leave a review it's super quick just click on some stars type up a sentence or two about what you like about the show and click submit this is going to be super awesome it's going to help other people find the show and downloading those plow and hoe podcasts helps provide me with some show statistics all right let's get back to plants Henry Duelberg salvia is another perennial that is on the Texas Superstar list. This is a this plant is a member of the sage family and it's also related to mint and rosemary. The salvia family is really quite large and there's like more than 900 types of salvia growing all over the world and the name salvia comes from the Latin word for feeling well and feeling healthy. And the different varieties have been used for like hundreds of years in herbal medicine and they've been used for their medicinal properties. But no matter where they grow, all salvias have one particular thing in common that makes salvias part of the salvia family. And it's the unusual way they get pollinated. Now, on salvia plants, the reproductive parts are a little bit different. Most flowers have at least four stamen. Now, stamen are the male parts of the plant, which are filaments that are skinny. And then they have like a little pollen sac that kind of perches on top right there in the middle of the flower. Most plants have four stamens, but salvia only have two stamen. And they're set up in such a way that when they, when a pollinator, like a bee, comes to visit the flower for nectar, p- 
part of the flower acts as a lever that lowers the stamen and it touches the back of the pollinator and deposits a little bit of pollen on those creatures. When the pollinator leaves and releases the lever, the stamen kind of goes back up. Most plants don't do this, just those in the salvia family. And I kind of have it envisioned in my head. It's like going over to somebody's house for a dinner party or something. And, you know, like salvia plants are like the host. And they're all like, hey, hi, guys. Welcome to my place. How are you doing? How's it going? Hey, come on in. Get, let me give you a hug. And as soon as the pollinator kind of crosses the threshold and enters the base of the flower, the salvia stamen gently and welcomely kind of like reaches out and kind of gives them like a little hug and it leans in and that salvia stamen gently touches the back of the pollinator and just quietly deposits some pollen. Now, I have a 10-year-old son, and I can totally see him pulling the same kind of mood, like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I just want to give you a little hug. Let me pat you on the back right here. But instead of placing pollen on my black, on my back he'd be like really sneaky and try to like stick a kick me sign or something like that on my back so it's kind of a neat little evolution thing that salvias have adapted so they have fewer stamens but the stamens they do have are really effective even if they are a little bit sneaky Salvias come in all kinds of colors. They come in reds and pale and hot pink, white, purple, kind of like a blue. They do come in blue, various shades of blue, but there's even yellow salvias. They come in annual varieties that grow and flower and set and seed in one season and then they're done. They die. They don't come back. But there are also perennial varieties that come back every year from the same plant. The Henry Dulberg salvia is a perennial salvia, and it has these beautiful purplish-blue flower spikes that grow on tall stems. The plant, each plant gets to be about three feet tall and about three feet wide when it's fully grown. The flowers on the salvia tend to be more intensely blue and they have more stems than other varieties of salvia. And the cool thing with Henry Dulberg salvia is as the flowers fade, they turn more purple, but they're still really vibrant and pretty. They also have larger and more green leaves than other salvias. And those tend to be small and the leaves are more sage green, so they have more gray in them. Henry Duelberg salvia was selected as a Texas superstar plant because it has so few issues with the disease and pests. Plus, it's heat tolerant and drought tolerant and also humidity tolerant. And it's super, super low maintenance too. Like most plants, 
it prefers well draining soil and full sun but it's really well suited to our soils here in central texas and plus it's a great nectar plant and it's really showy especially when there are multiple plants all planted close by next to each other this plant was discovered by a horticulturist um, visiting a cemetery just outside of LaGrange, Texas, which is what, 30, 40 minutes from here. And he found this sage growing on Henry Dulberg's grave. Now, I did try to find some information on Mr. Henry Dulberg on the Google, but I came up short. I'm sorry. I did find out that he was born in 1854 to German immigrant parents. He married Augusta, and they had a son who was also named Henry. Augusta passed away in 1903, and then Henry Sr. died in 1935 in DeWitt, Texas. He was listed as a farmer on the U.S. Census in 1930, and that's it. That's all I could find out about the Dulbergs. And I was hoping to find out some really cool information to share with you guys. Like maybe he was an avid flower gardener or the blue salvia happened to be Augusta's favorite. And when she passed away, he planted it on her grave. But nope, <laughs> I didn't find out any details about the Dulbergs. Henry Dulberg salvia like I said, has purple blue flower spikes, but if you have a stand of this variety of salvia and you allow them to just naturalize, you could end up with a plant that puts out lavender, kind of almost white flower spikes. And I'm not really sure about this reason for this mutation, but it does um, happen to... Um, to pop up as these plants spread. Now, the horticulturist who discovered this variety in the graveyard in LaGrange, he also found plants with the white blossoms. The blue ones were um, on Henry's side of the family plot there in that cemetery, but the, there were white ones that were on Augusta's side. So he named the blue ones for Henry and the white ones for Augusta. So that's what we have now. We have Henry Dulberg salvia and we have Augusta Dulberg salvia. One blue, one white. I do wish I could have found out more information about the Dulbergs, but I still think it's really cool that they that the uh, blue and the white salvias are named for them. Well, even though it hasn't exactly felt like our normal, long, drawn out, hot, hot summer here in Central Texas that we're used to, the plants seem to be productive. If you're wanting to get some, um, to have some produce in the fall and harvest, then you'll need to get seeds and transplants ready now because we have a very short planting window starting now through most of August. So 
If you want to plant some more corn, cucumber, okra, southern peas, beans, spinach, and squash seeds, now's the time to start making a plan and getting those guys in the ground. Normally, in July, everything looks terrible, and it's really easy to know what to pull up. I mean, because usually it's the squash and the cucumber plants are suffering pretty bad, and they are ready to go to the great compost pile. But I don't know about you, but my plants are still looking pretty good. But, you know, those plants aren't going to be particularly productive now because our higher overnight temperatures will inhibit growth. And while you and I do love when the sun goes down and it cools off to a wonderful 75 degrees. That's really too warm for some of the plants. They just can't vigorously grow unless they have some cooler temperatures at night. When the daytime temperatures get consistently above 90 degrees, even more plants like tomatoes will stop blooming. It's just, just too hot. But, like I said, we've got this wonderful new planting window coming up in August. So if you want another round of your favorite summer vegetables, we are lucky because you can harvest well into the fall. So get some seeds, get some transplants, and get them in the ground. As far as those little seedlings that are starting to pop up, you want to make sure that they are well mulched, have plenty of mulch around them, and then also some afternoon shade. Everything benefits from afternoon shade here in Central Texas. Um, you know, they make super fancy graded shade cloth that you can find at the garden center, at the hardware stores, but really... You can just use an old sheet or some burlap to and some stakes and just erect a simple shade to block out some of the, that afternoon sun. It's all going to work. Try to make it, uh, try to put some out there for your little baby plants. As you're pulling up plants to make room for new ones in your fall garden, you might want to consider experimenting with trying to get a second crop from your existing tomato plants. Even though the tops of your tomato plants probably are looking pretty rough and look like crap, you know, with all the heat stress and the worn and just worn out looking. The thing is, is that your existing tomato plants should have a really great recent root system, especially if you planted them early, like back in March. A healthy root system is really important to having happy, productive plants. So even if the top parts of plants have issues and look terrible and dying, you know, like from heat stress or insect damage and stress, those plants with a healthy root system are much more likely to be able to recover with if they have that strong root system. A tomato transplant, a new brand new baby plant that you buy at um, the garden center or the store, they're gonna look really great. They're gonna be all 
fresh and green and just look full of hope and optimism, but they're not going to really have much of a root system. I mean, they are usually sold in tiny four inch pots, so they're not going to have a really big root system, but once you, if you do go that route and get tomato transplants, just know and remember that those transplants, once you get them in, in the ground, they're going to start focusing on establishing a strong root system. So you won't notice a lot of growth above the ground right away. But if you already have tomato plants and you have a couple of favorites that you have in your garden, you know, they produced well for you and they didn't have any major issues with disease, maybe take advantage of having a plant with a really well-established root system and try to coax them into having a second harvest for you by fall. And it's really simple because all you have to do is cut your tomatoes way back. You can reduce your tomato plants by half. You know, just go and start cutting your plants back and removing all of those long gangly vines. It's going to feel weird. Your plant is going to look weird. But when you prune them back that much, it, it's going to be hard because especially if you have um, fruits or flowers still on your plant. But if you want fall tomatoes and you want a good crop, you're going to have to be ruthless and you're going to have to cut them back so that the plant, what's going to happen is that um, when you cut off those vines, they're going to focus on putting on new growth. So new stems new flowers, new fruits, and that's where the new crop will come from. It's going to come from the new, um, the new growth. Tomatoes take anywhere between 60 and 90 days to produce flowers, fruit. Um, they're going to take 60 to 90 days to produce flowers and set fruit. So if we cut back our tomatoes in late July and early August, we should have enough time for new growth and, of course, fruit production. It's going to be important for you to choose plants that were healthy and happy and gave you really tasty fruits. Because a strong plant can recover from this really drastic pruning that you are going to have to do. And it's not just that you have nice plants that gave you tasty fruit. You also need to select the right type. So indeterminate tomato plants are going to respond better to this drastic pruning than determinate types. Indeterminate tomatoes are those types that grow really long and really tall and they sprawl all over the place. They grow more like vines and their stems continue to grow and grow and grow until they'll keep growing until it gets cold and then ultimately the frost kills them. These vining types of tomatoes are called indeterminate and they are better suited to um, fall tomato production. Indeterminate tomatoes grow, produce um flowers and fruits all through their growing season. They have one main stem and these guys will will just grow and set flowers and produce fruit 
and then they're going to grow some more. They'll put on new flowers and fruit. And here in Central Texas, because of our climate, this cycle of grow flower fruit, grow flower fruit, it can continue all the way through to very late fall. And since they will get, they will just keep growing. They can get to be like 10 to 15 feet tall if you let them. This is the type of tomato plant that is going to respond to being dramatically cut back because their kind of DNA tells them to keep growing, to keep growing, to keep growing. On the flip side, determinate tomatoes are smaller plants. These are the varieties that are, they're also called bush tomatoes because they are, they stay pretty compact. They only get to be about four feet tall and then they stop growing. They don't get bigger than that and you only get one crop. They have one opportunity. They have to flower and set fruit. And with the right growing conditions, you'll get lots and lots of flowers and then lots and lots of tomatoes. All the fruit on the determinate tomato plants, they're going to ripen about the same time, you know, like within a week or two or three. And then the tomato plant dies or it goes dormant. You could, we're having a weird year, you could get a second harvest from them, but it's probably not going to be as prolific. So if you have a choice between determinate and indeterminate, if you have a choice between big long vining tomatoes and bush tomatoes, choose the long gangly vining tomato plants because they're a much better choice than those bushy tomatoes are if you want to try to cut them back for fall harvest. And that's all you do, you just cut them back. You clean up all the dead and all the ugly parts. You do wanna give them some fresh fertilizer. So choose an organic product that is high in phosphorus. And all you wanna do is just put it on top of the soil. Just kinda scratch it into the surface. You don't have to dig it in. Just put it on top and kinda mix it around that top layer. Phosphorus is essential to root development, but it also stimulates growth. So by supporting the roots right after you cut them back, you'll help trigger new growth. You'll also, of course, want to add more mulch and go ahead and plan on providing these plants some afternoon shade. I mean, you have drastically cut them back. They are in a recovery mode. So they will benefit from being protected from the worst of this afternoon summer sun. All right. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you for joining me here in my backyard. I hope you are finding your own fun garden surprises. Like I found my giant cucumber and my random corn plants. Anyway. I hope you're inspired to plant some new things for the fall. Have a kick-ass week.
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.